Chapter Eighteen of Two Sides to Every Question by Maud Jean Frank. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirsty. Chapter Eighteen: A Moment's Delirium. Back to town again. The burden heavier. The difficulties more intricate for the failure. Something must he do, for so much was at stake. His head was reeling, his heart beating fitfully, the feverish blood rushing through his veins. A fierce temptation was pressing upon him, and it is exactly under such circumstances that temptations will present themselves. His uncle was rolling in money. Well, then, he was absent, but a few strokes of the pen could set him free. Why should he hesitate to extricate himself? What possible harm could it do? It was only as a loan he wanted the money. The satanic whisper came again and again, aided by his increasing illness, an illness that made his need seem more imperative than it really was, his position more alarming. On he rode, that fearful suggestion hissing in his ear. He tried to put it away, but it would not be silence, and alas, he did not in that perilous moment flee for strength to resist to him who with every temptation provides a way of escape. Even the tender remembrance of his mother he put away from his thoughts, for as he rode on he began to gloss over the terrible name of forgery with the specious argument that has brought so many of our thriving young men to ruin, that he would simply be borrowing the money, which he could very soon return. It was but a matter of a day or two. No one would be the wiser. A little help and a little time was all he needed. He would have asked his uncle, had he not been absent, and he had tried his best, there was no other way. It must come to this at last. He had ridden so fast into town that the horse was in a foam when he took it to the stables, and the groom in attendance shook his head as he carefully led it up and down the yard before he removed its saddle, muttering to himself, I rather guess Mr. Wright won't want to lend his horse again in a hurry. Thinking of anything but the horse, not indeed conscious of its condition, Arthur Delta walked mechanically through the office to his uncle's room, and drank off two large tumblers of iced water. It had no power to cool the fever in his blood, or quiet the turmoil of his mind. One thought still pursued him. The money to be paid at noon next day, the necessity of possessing some of the lucky shares which in his fevered imagination were to decide his future. He was going to borrow the needful of his uncle, that was all. One lucky turn, and he could pay it all back. The thing was simple enough, there would be no harm done. No harm done. Is the deed less sinful because it escapes detection? Had Arthur's morality sunk so low, or was his conscience so seared that he had begun to reason thus? Were all the teachings of a loving mother obliterated, and was he ready to yield to the first temptation, he who had learnt from his earliest infancy that wrong can never be right? Alas, so easy, so very easy are these downward steps, and once taken, so difficult to retrace. Ah, had he at that moment had the hand of a friend to restrain him, one warning word breathed in his ear. As it was, the temptation only came the stronger with the recollection. Elsie is coming back, and nothing accomplished. This must be done. And yet, as he nerved his trembling fingers, and dashed off the fatal draught, in its figures and signature, so terribly like his uncle's, his cheek flushed and paled. His heart beat tumultuously. He knew that he was sinning grievously, doing evil that good might come. He had scarcely finished the last letter of his uncle's name, when footsteps and voices were heard in the adjacent office. 
starting to his feet the hot blood rushing to and then receding from his face he thrust the cheque wet as it was into his waistcoat pocket then hurriedly reseating himself he drew the letter-book towards him affecting to be absorbed in its contents he was a poor dissembler had there been any one to detect him but the voices were only those of mr wright and a country customer they were merely discussing ordinary subjects with their faces turned towards the street presently however his ears caught familiar names and he sat bolt upright in his chair to listen they do say the more a man has the more he may have i'm sure that holds good in mr clinton's case said the voice that had first attracted delta's notice what's this they are saying in town about the splendid match he is making for his daughter is it true you ought to know something of it that it is a splendid match no doubt of that yes it's true though by all accounts the young lady made it herself by the help of her friends i suppose her father had nothing to do with it but he approves of it oh certainly it is quite after his own heart the gentleman is very rich has in fact immense possessions in victoria but which daughter is it there are two of them not that little fair beauty surely there was a prior engagement then was there not no i think not no engagement that i ever heard of at any rate it is miss elsie the young lady is now on her way from melbourne the marriage is to come off very shortly elsie little elsie gone from him for ever all up all up and he had sinned for her a groan a half-stifled cry a heavy fall the two gentlemen started in alarm and made a rush to the room from whence the sounds came arthur delta lay on the floor totally insensible loosen his neckcloth bathe his head give him air shouted mr wright to the clerks who hearing the noise came excitedly crowding in someone fetch a doctor was the cooler response of the country customer seems to me there's more the matter here than we can manage tom alton's gone for the doctor said one of the office boys and here by jove he comes with him ain't he spry the doctor shook his head there's serious illness here he exclaimed after a lengthened examination it will be a long affair if nothing worse he presently added some heavy shock to the nervous system has he any friends in the colony mr clinton is his uncle answered mr wright that's well i'm glad of that poor fellow better take him at once to the park the family are all absent doctor that will scarcely be advisable alton where does mr delta board he has just left the delaney's they are going away for good he was to come on board at our house to-night for the first time he's engaged our place dear dear said the doctor mr alton that's unfortunate your mother is too delicate to have sickness brought into the house but i'm sure she won't go back from her word sir i'm sure she won't turn him away said tom warmly at any rate i had better run home and see what she says ay do take a car from the stand at once and offer them double fare to drive quickly said the doctor it's a pity for the altons he continued as tom rushed out of the door on his way home a pity for them but there's no doubt it would be a good thing for him to be there if as you say he has no friends to go to for mrs alton is the kindest little woman in the world a dear gentle mothering creature and miss nettie is a sweet girl but i'm afraid he's in for serious illness decided symptoms of brain fever and he continued his manipulation while he talked assisted by mr wright who began to be seriously alarmed have you any idea what caused this sudden attack the doctor presently asked no was the reply 
He has been looking ill some time. I fancy he has been dabbling in mining shares, and things of that kind have not been looking up lately. Anxiety? Humph! That may have something to do with it. But not all, not all. There must be something more. I say right, said the country customer in a low tone, looking anxiously at Delta's pale, insensible face. Do you remember what we were talking about when we heard the noise, and then the fall? It was about Miss Clinton's marriage. Don't you recollect? I'll be bound to say he overheard us. And if he is her cousin, you bet there was some truth in that report of an engagement between them. Oh, oh, said the doctor, is that the English of it? I see. You were talking of Miss Elsie Clinton's coming marriage, were you? And he overheard you. Of course he did, and knew nothing about it. I warrant it fell on him like a blow. He collapsed at once. Thank you, gentlemen. I have the clue I needed. I was right, you see. This illness is the effect of a shock on a system already weakened by illness. And I'm afraid, poor fellow, life and death will have a struggle. But we will do the best we can for him. That's it. There's no doubt of it, said Wright in a low voice. I wonder I never thought of it before. Tom Alton came back in triumph. Mother says, if he had not already engaged with her, she couldn't find it in her heart to close her doors on anyone so ill and friendless, he said. I left her and Nettie preparing his room for him. Your mother is a jewel of a woman, a perfect good Samaritan, a woman among ten thousand, said the doctor enthusiastically. I'll see that she has help, and the best thing to do is to get a car to the door and take him to her at once. I'll go with you. So Delta, all unconscious of his drive, was slowly taken home by Tom and the doctor, and took possession of his pretty little room, sweet and fragrant and cooler as it was than many a larger one, without any volition of his own. He knew not how carefully he was attended, or how, when at last, when Tom and the doctor and the old captain, whose aid they had invoked, had undressed and placed him in his pleasant bed, with its snowy curtains and soft pillows, Mrs. Alton came gently in to see him, looking at him with her kind, loving, motherly eyes, as she took careful possession of his clothes, watch and purse, and folding them up, locked them away in an empty drawer she had cleared for the purpose. Arthur Delta, in all the suffering weeks that followed, could not have been gathered into a safer, a more peaceful haven. Terrible weeks they were to him, even in his delirium, which was not violent, but low, muttering, and distressful in its character, the name of Elsie was wailed out, mingled with agonised regret for the deed he had done, and all for her sake. Mines and shares and cheques and Elsie, and forgery, these were the changes that were rung incessantly, day and night, in the ears of his anxious watchers. But only Mrs. Alton held the clue to his agonised admissions, and she kept the knowledge sealed up in her own breast. He has been sorely tempted, and the snare has been rudely broken, but bless God, it is broken, she said to herself, and her soft eyes were dimmed with thankful tears. End of chapter 18